And I pray, Lord, as we open up First Timothy, you'll help us to see the importance of humility in leadership. Um, and I pray, Lord, that we would walk through this passage and we would see the carefulness that should be used in selecting of leaders and honoring leaders, but also in correcting them. And I pray, Lord, that we would all um, glean from this that not just elders, but everybody in our life should be handled this way as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So yes, it is all about pay and elders and elder selection, and it's a really awkward sermon for a guy to get up and talk about when it's directly linked to um, pay and remuneration and honor, and you could take this a whole different way. And I'm sure that in the history of the church, there have been um, people get on a stage and use this passage to clobber over congregations and say, this is why I deserve um, everything from the parsonage to a private jet. And so we got to be careful with this because there are pastors out there that do that. Um, but I think you'll see what Paul's getting at is humility. Um, he's getting at a, a humble approach to leaders. And remember that Paul is, this letter is to be read not just by Timothy, but to the entire congregation. So there's some mixed things happening in this section where he's not only talking to Timothy, but I think he's also giving a message to the congregation that this is being read to. And so you have to keep that in mind too. There's some parts here where he's quoting scripture saying that someone who is laboring in the preaching and teaching of the word should be, should receive double honor, should be, should be paid, should be taken care of. And how that happens looks different across the spectrum of the church. Then he also says that when there's people attacking a pastor or an elder, or there's people that have accusations, should be handled the same way it was handled that Jesus tells us in Matthew 18. And then he also talks about the selection. So this whole thing is really about humility. And then there's this one little section where he says, hey, Timothy, you, uh, you stress out a lot. Maybe you ought to have a little bit of wine. You need to calm down, buddy. And so that's all packed into this spot. And so I think if we just put over the umbrella of the whole section, humble leadership, it'll make sense. So let's read it, and then we'll break it down. Sorry, verse 17. Let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not omit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailment. The sins of some people are conspicuous. Conspicuous. Why I can't... Try to read from the side. (laughs) Going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous. Conspicuous. Why can't I say that? And even those that are... Some good works are also secret, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. I can edit that, can't I? Why can't I say that word? All right, starting off. Um, there's some key things before we break down the characteristics said here. Um, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. This is an indication that in this church and in most churches, um, there are those who are elders who aren't necessarily the most gifted in preaching and teaching. 
the characteristics of an elder are that they can handle the Word, that they are to be teaching the Word, they understand the Word, but there are some elders who may never be on a stage preaching in a public forum, but they are responsible for handling the Word properly. Um, and so, but we get Paul telling us, let elders who rule well, so good leaders who rule well, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so you will have in most places an, uh, a collection of leaders, especially in churches that have elders, and there may be elders that are not ever going to be on a stage preaching. They may teach a Sunday school class. They may, they may never teach a Sunday school class. They may never have, but they may be the person that someone comes to for counseling, and they can um, open up the Word and let the Word apply to one-on-one situations. But for whatever reason, it clearly wasn't commonplace when Paul was writing this, that there were paid people in the church. That were Their main responsibility was the preaching and teaching of the Word, the leadership of the church. Um, that's why it's awkward to mention these things, because that's the role that I have here at the church. <clears throat> this has looked different over the years. It's looked different in different denominations, different congregations. It's looked completely different. Paul himself never required pay. So he was given it. If you read through Philippians, he talks about the times it's good, the times it's bad. There's times he was making tents. You can make all kinds of arguments about, about different types of ministry and different types of, types of pay. For a long time, churches had parsonages. And so you would have a pastor would come in, <clears throat> would become the leader of the church, and they would give them a house to stay in. Um, those days, of, there's still some churches that do that, and a lot of churches don't. And so you have salaries that are at a level to where you can afford to buy a house. And if you have a parsonage and you have no um, housing responsibilities, there's a pastor that I served with that he bought his first house when he was 50 years old, that every church he'd ever been in was a parsonage. And he saved up money to all those years to buy, when he was finally in a church that didn't have a parsonage, that he would buy a house. And then he was accused of, he bought, this is in Vincennes, um, he bought a 190, he had a $195,000 house built. 20 years ago, and people in the church were like, well, I think we're paying our pastor too much money when they can build a $195,000 house. Now, that area of the country is a lot different than it is here, but <clears throat> he was accused of that. So he publicly got on stage one day and said, hey, I saved money for the last 30 years, and that's why I'm able to build this house. He actually got deemed because he'd been in parsonages most of his pastor. And so there's different ways of doing it. Um, when you plant a church, Sometimes you're going to work a couple jobs to plant a church. Sometimes there's pastors that don't ever want to, they want to have the, the freedom to make money on their side jobs or side hobbies. They have a career, but they are a gifted teacher. Um, I've seen elders in churches that have been offered the job of the senior pastor when the senior pastor's left, and they've said, I don't want any part of that. But you are a gifted teacher. You're a gifted communicator. You can run this place. You can lead this church. And like, I just don't feel God calling me to that. So you run the whole gamut of possibilities when it comes to pay. But what Paul, in a very unique way, probably one of the first times in Scripture we see the words of Christ be called Scripture, he says, for the Scripture says, you shall not be, you should not muzzle an ox when it's tread out the grain. That's from Deuteronomy. And the laborer deserves his wages from Luke. It's one of the first times in the New Testament we see Paul quoting the words of Christ and calling it Scripture. That it, we call, we do that now, but in the time of Paul, very closely connected to the, the church growing, the church moving, very closer connected to Christ, that the words of Christ were actually called Scripture. And so Paul is taking, 
a passage from Deuteronomy, you should not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain, which is, that's just saying that when the ox is working hard, you don't put a muzzle on his mouth, let him eat as he's working. That his labor deserves replenishment. And so some harsh money-grubbing type farmers would then muzzle the ox, they'd want to lose any bites of that grain as if the ox is working. And so out of Deuteronomy, it's kind of saying, you, if you work a job, you deserve to be paid, which I think most of us would agree to. And then he quotes into Christ, the laborer deserves his wages. So he's just making a, a, a compassionate to Timothy, but also to the congregation call that says, hey, if someone is laboring in the preaching, teaching leader, the leadership of the church, it's okay to give them a paycheck. Now, you can talk about how much, what is, that's where people usually get upset. Or we have all, we have people that have not had a humbleness in those conversations, and that gives everyone a bad taste in their mouth. We've all seen the people on TV, they're asking for private jets, and, um, because they just can't be in a plane full of sinners. There's demons in that plane, and if I'm in there, I just can't be with those demons because I'm going off to minister to some other country. You can look that. It's almost a direct quote. Um, and sometimes that gets pretty, pretty hairy. And so Paul's not giving us a pay scale. He's just saying that you should take care of the people in your church that are tasked with the leadership and the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. That's key. All right? And then he gets into, well, we'll just do it this way. Oh, come on. There it is. If we're going to talk about this humble servant leadership, if we run it through the, the lens of humility, then I think it starts to make more sense. But this isn't just a, a piecemeal thing, that it's an umbrella over this whole section of Scripture, that it's about being a humble servant. That if, if I was coming into board meetings or coming into elder meetings or coming to the congregation saying, you know, this last year's been pretty rough. What are you going to do about it? Well, that's not a that's not a humble leader. That's not a person who's always looking for the next. If you constantly hear someone complain and they're in leadership in a church and they're constantly complaining about their pay, then what's what are they really there for? Um, I've always seen pastors in the same realm of public servants, whether it's fire, police, teaching, medical. You're in. You get into the job not just to make a pile of cash. That's nice when you can take care of your family. But you do it because there's a calling to public service. You're calling to give of yourself. You're called to pour yourself out. Um, and the church should be called to then have double honor for someone who's willing to pour themselves out. That's what Paul's getting at in humble service. He then talks about accusations. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, we'll have in one line. Um, if you are in leadership and you're someone who teaches the Word of God and preaches, if you're an elder who is called to correct other people, you have a target on your back. You're, when you call people to say, like, hey, that's sin, this isn't okay, this isn't how we do things, this isn't, then there are going to be people that are going to come against you. There's always going to be someone that's going to be complaining against you or saying it's not okay or you did this wrong or, oh, you think you're so good up there on that stage. And then we'll try. There's always something in there. There's always going. And for the most part, um, those are handled very much one-on-one -on -one type situations. We would follow Matthew 18, which if someone has a problem with you, then they should go to you directly. 
If you won't listen, if there's no humility, then you take someone else. So that's what we're getting here. Do not admit a charge against an elder on the evidence, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. That just because someone would say something about me or about you, I'm not going to take it because one person says it. We're going to talk about it. And if you don't have a humility in that moment, you don't accept the correction. If it's true, then you know that a leader needs, there needs to be a next step. There should be a humility in it. There have been more times than I care to admit in my life as a leader where I have either done something boneheaded, said something incorrect, done something wrong, made a poor judgment, and the people have come to me and said, hey, that wasn't okay, it's not right, what, should you, what are you going to do about it? And if, I, if I'm approached in those areas and my immediateness is to bristle and say, how dare you, you can't judge me, I'm in charge of this place, I'm in charge of this, then that's a, that's a key indication there's a problem. There's no humbleness in that. And that doesn't mean that you have to take it on the chin. If it's something that's a lie or something that's not true or something needs to be explained, you can stand your ground. You can say that I, I didn't do anything wrong here, but this should be with humility. If there's no humility, then those are warning signs. Those are warning signs that you shouldn't be in that position or this person isn't listening. Because then it continues, and Paul goes right to the next line in verse 20. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Now this isn't, we don't bring people in their sin up on stage and say, hey guys, did you know this person's done this? That's not what he's getting at. That in, the, in a role of a public, out front, preaching, teaching spot, a lack of humility, a lack of receiving correction, a lack of a movement, towards repentance, then that should be done. There should be a public inquiry. There should be a public notification. So we'll run a, a scenario through to you. Let's say that you see Eli in the hall. Here in the foyer, he's going to come in. He's playing drums for second service. He comes walking in, and he's got a giant black eye. Hey, Eli. Man, what happened? Did you get in a fight? I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. And then all of a sudden, um, he whispers to someone or gets out that I hit him last night because he came home late past curfew. Then a couple of you come to me and say, hey, what's the deal? Eli's got a black eye. He says you knocked him out. Well, okay, not probably would knock him out. Oh, if I hit that hard. Uh, you smacked him around a little bit last night when he came home late because he lipped off to you and you smacked him. You don't know what happened in my house. You don't understand what's going on. You don't know what that kid's been doing. You don't, there's no, I went out of hand. It went far. He made a move at me. I thought he was going to, there was no conversation, just a, a lack of repentance. I did it. Deal with it. Then the leaders of the church could come to the stage, the elders of the church, and say, uh, there's been an issue. Inside Mike's family, um, we're going to try to pursue him to get help. We're going to try to see what can we can work this out. But you need to know that an instance happened. That's what we're talking about. Not like a hey, Mike said something that offended me. I talked to him about it, and we worked it out. We still disagree, but I know his heart. I understand where he's going with it, and 
That's not the, this is massive level stuff. This is huge that you would ever bring it to the church. And so Paul's saying, be careful. Don't just let accusations fly around. But also, sometimes there's some, there's some bad apples in the mix. And when it gets bad enough, then the church should know. Now imagine this letter being written, why he's saying this, and how it's received by the church. I think we can read between the lines. Paul is making sure that the church understands that the person who is preaching and teaching should be held with honor, but it appears there's also some bad elders that are existing in this church that are coming against Timothy, and they're, they're causing some problems. Because then he tells Timothy, as we continue on, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. I can say partiality, but not conspicuous. Doing nothing from partiality. And then he talks about the selection of elders. So there's clearly something going on in this church. He's saying, don't prejudge. Don't just listen. Don't. And that's how we should be with everyone. I mentioned several months ago. I don't remember what context of the sermon was. You should think the best of people first. Especially in the church family. Especially the people you're closest to. You should think the best of them first. And if they prove that to be wrong, then you do what you're supposed to do. Follow the protocol. So if someone comes to me and complains about one of you, my initial reaction isn't, yeah, they're terrible. I know exactly what you mean. It's usually, Wow, I, I never, I, don't, I didn't know that about them. That's, I don't, have you talked to them? Well, no, I'm not going to talk to them face to face. And if they won't, then that's where it dies. Because that's what we're called to do. If you have an issue with someone, you talk to them face to face. And if they don't respond, then I would get involved. Have you talked to them? No. Okay, well, I think that's the first step. Clearly, they've done something. They've wronged you. I, I don't know that that's really what happened, but you should probably get some clarification. Talk. And so Timothy is dealing with lots of this happening in the church, and Paul knows it. And it's clearly weighing heavy on him. Because Paul then tells him, Oh, I'm supposed to go forward with it. Sorry. He tells him, No longer drink only water. Use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Timothy, I know this stresses you out. And I know that you're trying to live this life where you want to be no assumptions of evil. So he's, he's clearly made a stance where he's abstaining from drinking, which that's a personal preference of his, or something's going on, I'm not sure. But Paul, in a, in a spiritually, spiritual father mode, says, probably need a glass of wine, buddy. This is really weighing on you. Your stomach's a mess. You're stressing out. This is not good for you. you you're, this is really overwhelming you. You need to relax. You, need, you can't carry the weight of all of this. You can't carry the weight of every issue and every accusation and every... You need to calm down. Let's get back up to 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. He's telling him to be careful who you pick as an elder. Be careful. There should be a humble conversation in the selection process for elders. 
should be humble and it should be careful. I mentioned when we talked about elders and deacons, if someone is lobbying for the position of deacon or elder, that's a red flag. You know, I'm really smart. and I'm a good leader at work. I'm a good leader in my home. I think you need me in the church to lead better. That's, that's, you got to be careful with those conversations. Now, I've not countered that here, but there should be a careful consideration of the elders that are then going to be the leaders of the church and then are also going to be the ones who are involved in the correction of the church. There needs to be a humble and slow and careful consideration of the leaders in a church. That we don't just pick them because they wear vests, because vests make indications of great leaders. There should be more. There should be more than that. There's got to be time and patience and it, how, how do they handle their family and their life and, and it's not just academic aptitude. Oh, this guy, I mean, we got a new person in the church. Got a seminary degree. Way smarter than Mike. We need to have that person as an elder. Then you get to know the life, you get to know them, you get to understand, like, ooh, no. There's some issues. Now, again, this doesn't mean perfection in any of these. We all have propensities to sin. We all have propensities to not want to be humbled. We all have issues. We all have, this doesn't mean that these leaders and teachers and preachers are infallible. That's not close to being true. So, so I think why Paul, one of the clear I'm getting from the passage is, that there's a, a humble responsibility in all of them. If someone comes to correct a leader, or someone has an issue, is there a humility there, or is it just you throw away, you throw them away? Nah, they don't know. When you talk to potential leaders in the church, is there a humbleness there? Is there an, is there an honoring position of wow? The church sees me as a leader and wants to add me to the to a place of responsibility, or is it just vying for a position? Paul finishes. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot, cannot remain hidden. When she gives this right after being careful about laying hands and, and bringing people into the role of leadership in the church, and I think it's a call for time. You should have time with people to see. And he's also saying, don't just prejudge quickly. Don't just jump to conclusion. There may be someone in the church that's serving their guts out in their community, in their workplace, in their neighborhoods, and because they don't show up for a work day at the church doesn't mean they aren't a leader. They were just busy. They had something else going. You're not going to know that unless you get to know them. You've got to spend time with people. You've got to build relationships with people. And I think that's Paul is getting at with Timothy in this section of Scripture. Is if you're going to pick leaders, especially elders, you need to spend time with them. Do you see a humbleness in them? Do they receive correction? Are they willing to step into the hard places? Do they have an aptitude for the Word of God? Maybe they would be terrified to get on stage in front of people. But they're really good at one-on-one, -on -one, speaking to people, letting the gospel speak truth into their lives. Are, 
Are they good at those things? They should be elevated to the place of leadership in the church. I think from 17 to 25, it's a lot about humility. And given what we've seen Paul talk about false teachers and lay out the responsibilities for leaders, it seems pretty clear that there were some some people in the church that were really wearing people out. And there was a lack of humility in those conversations. You can't have a leader who's so full of themselves that they feel they can never do any wrong. But you also can't try to keep a, a leader so humbled by lack of pay, lack of remuneration, lack of honor, that you're just trying to keep them. And what's the phrase? I, I heard this at a church once. The, um, Lord, we pray that you keep our pastor humble and we'll keep him poor. Something like that. And I remember being in a, in a, a search committee. I was teaching high school at the time. And it was a search committee for the guy we ended up hiring to be the youth pastor. And there was a, a person in the search committee that was offended by the pay that he was, that this youth pastor was about to be given. At the time, this is 20 years ago. He was going to get paid $28,000 a year plus health insurance benefit. And they were like, well, I didn't. $28,000 a year? That's what a first-year teacher was making at the time there in Vincennes. It's like, we're going to pay this guy to, like, what a first-year teacher makes? And he was a teacher. And he had taught for several years. Like, I only made 15000 a year when I started teaching. Why are we going to pay this guy? I, don't, I can't believe we would do that. And, of course, I've, I've softened over the years, but I kind of jumped both feet into that. And I said, well, I won't say his name. I don't think he'd ever listen to this. But um, so you're, you're old. And he just kind of looked at me and said, starting pay for a teacher is $27,000, $28,000 a year now. When you first started teaching, it was 15, 20 years ago, and starting pay was 15000 a year. Have you ever heard of a thing called inflation? Do you know how the economy works? And that didn't go very well, and it was not a great meeting. But, but I also think that you don't want to have to be, put people in a position where you've, you've taken a... Uh, I don't know that leaders in churches should be out on book tours and movie deals and because then your focus isn't the church. Your focus isn't the people that you're here for. Now, that's just my personal opinion. I don't have a problem with guys that have written books. I've benefited a lot from book writers. But Paul's trying to get at the church in Ephesus through Timothy. You need to make sure you're taking care of the leaders in your church in a way that when they pour themselves out, they're being poured into whatever that looks like. But if you have an expectation of the leaders in your church to be servants and to pour themselves out, then the church should be part of pouring back into this person. But you make sure you get the slow process, build relationship. Don't just throw someone into leadership that is not ready. When accusations come, handle them biblically. Tell people to go to the person that they have a problem with, and if they have an unhumble heart, I don't know if that's a word, they don't have a humble heart, and they aren't receiving of it, they don't try to work it out, then you bring other leaders in, and you continue the process. And if at some point it comes out that this is not, there's no humility here, then the church needs to know that. And all along these steps of the way, there's always grace and a hope for repentance and a desire for restored relationship all along the way.
And when that doesn't happen, that's when you have to make terrible decisions. You have to remove an elder, remove a leader from a position, fire a volunteer, whatever that looks like. But the church Paul's calling to should be should have leaders that are selfless. They're going to pour out into the congregation, pour out into the community, and then the church's responsibility is to keep them healthy and keep pouring into them so that they can continue to serve. And it looks different in a whole host of different churches across this town and across the world. It used to be, I mean, think about the priestly class in the Old Testament. Whatever was sacrificed, they fed their families on a lot of that food that was in sacrifice, and they took it home, the animal sacrifice. There used to be a church would be built in a small community following a township and range system where a school was built, and then that school, another parcel, thank you Thomas Jefferson, was used to fund the teacher. Why do you think teachers have apples on their desks all the time? It's not because every it's required in education world that you love apples. That there was a season where teachers, a lot of their pay came from the local community bringing them food. They didn't go out and farm and take care of. People brought them things. Same thing with pastor. If you're pouring out serving the community, how do you have a farmland? How do you have a business? How do you have these things? And so then people would bring food and stuff. And, and over time, it's just changed. And it's become pay. It's become, although I do get things brought to me sometimes here, which is really nice. Sometimes it's elk or beef or, and I'm not going to turn it down. But there's, there, no matter what it looks like, a leader should be sacrificing to the community and the community should then take care of that leader. Whatever that looks like. That's what Paul's getting. And so, those of you leaders in the room, I think you feel the weight of that. We've all been in leadership positions outside of just a senior pastor role where you've given and given and given and volunteered. And what's one of the, some of the ways in which you stop volunteering? When you don't feel appreciated or used or poured into, right? And so when you have volunteers around and you have people that you care about and people that are serving, then you make sure you pour into them as well. If we're doing that, if we're dying to self and mutually pouring into each other, then we're all coming together as a church, building a relationship and serving in this town, in this community, and helping people to know Jesus. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? If we all were doing that. I think it's something we can strive for. We all fail, get back up, continue to pour ourselves out. Christ will be made famous. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've had together in your word. I pray, Lord, that as we see the example um, that Paul is laying out to Timothy in this letter he wrote to him um, as he's serving in his church, that we could take a lot of wisdom from it. That if we are a, a leader in business, and or we own our own business, a leader in this community, um, that when people come against us, that we wouldn't take it personal. We would know that that's what happens um, when you're put in that kind of position. Anybody that's put in a place of authority or a place of um, responsibility, things are going to happen. And I pray, Lord, that when there is truth to the accusations, that all of us would be humble and we receive them, that we would apologize, we would be corrected well, and we would move forward in grace. And Lord, where there are people around us that are unwilling to, to have that kind of humility, 
I pray, Lord, you help us to, to labor in prayer and love that they would see it. The goal is not to cast people out or to push people away. It's to bring people into a closer relationship with you and with all of us. So help us, Lord, as we grow in our stature as leaders in our businesses in the world and this church, that we'd have humble hearts, that we would see ways in which we can pour ourselves out to others, knowing that that's what you did when you were here. You were a humble leader, speaker of everything into existence, but you still humbled yourself. And if that's the example of how we're supposed to live, then I pray, Lord, we would do that. Help us to be humble and help us to hold on tight to your promise that you'll guide us along the way with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.